If you will, turn in your Bibles to the 11th chapter, the Gospel of Mark, for our Palm Sunday text. Jesus had come to Jerusalem six days before the Passover. We see that John's Gospel tells us that, and he stays in Bethany, and and as we come now to Palm Sunday, we see that Palm Sunday is the 14th, uh, the 10th of Nisan. The 14th of Nisan is Passover. The 10th of Nisan is an important day because it is the day upon which the lambs that would be offered as a sacrifice there on Passover were actually selected. That was the day that you would take your lamb and you would cull it from your flock and you would bring it inside your house and, and now you would keep this lamb. It would be inspected from the 10th to the 14th. No spot, no blemish would be upon it. And then on the 14th of Nisan, this would be the day of Passover. So the day upon which Jesus is making his official triumphal entry is significant. You will remember that by this time the high priest had declared that it is expedient that one man should die than for the nation to perish and for them to lose their place of position and and so the die had been cast. The religious leaders were seeking an opportunity to be able to destroy Jesus. At the same time, the crowds of people that were gathering for the feast were all inquiring and speaking amongst themselves, uh, wondering where is Jesus and is Jesus going to come to the feast? There was a tremendous excitement as the popularity of Jesus and of his fame continued to spread throughout the nation. Is he the Messiah? Could he be the Messiah? This was the, the question really that was on the lips of all of the people. And, and so we see that Jesus now spends two days there in Bethany and and it is time to make his entrance into Jerusalem. We see Mark's gospel, chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat, loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. And so as Jesus draws near to Jerusalem, we see that Jesus is aware that the religious leaders are in opposition to him. But he also recognizes that this is the perfect timing of his father, that he would make the presentation and the declaration that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He journeys from Bethany and starts to head towards Jerusalem and 
and comes to the Mount of Olives. And on the western slope of the Mount of Olives, or there we see is where Bethphage and Bethany are located. And we see that now he sends them forwards, his two of his disciples in and tells them to go in and you are going to find a colt that had been tied up there. Come and bring it. Now, Bethphage, we see, is only mentioned here in the scriptures, but Mark tells us that as they go in, they're going to find a colt, and, and Mark tells us that this colt had never been ridden before. Matthew adds that you are going to find a donkey tied along with her colt. And, and so here we see that they follow the instructions uh, of the Lord. In Zechariah chapter 9, it mentions one animal, not two, in fulfillment uh, of the scriptures. But recognizing and understanding that Matthew understands Hebrew, the full quotation affirms that Jesus rode on the colt. And so Mark and Luke say the animal was so young that it had never been ridden before. And he says that if anybody tries to stop you, tell them that the Lord has need of it. So Jesus now stops and asks them to go and get the colt, not because he is tired or weary, but because he is fulfilling prophecy. He recognizes and understands that the Messiah is going to fulfill every dot and every tittle that the scriptures speak of him. And so he tells them that, that they have no need to be concerned when they find the animal, come and get it. And Mark's gospel continues in verse 4, So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing, loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. And then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. You will remember that Jesus' mother, in his very first miracle that Jesus does, when he turns the water into wine, you'll remember that she gives the instructions to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, just simply do. And here we see that Jesus now tells his disciples to go into the town and you're going to find a colt there, untie it and bring it to me. And then if anybody stops, you just tell them that I have need of it. And so they depart by faith, just doing exactly what Jesus had told them to do. And, and just as Jesus had said, if anybody stops you, there certainly were those that stopped them. But then they just continued by faith to do exactly what the Lord had told them, to speak these words. And when they spoke those words that ministered to the situation, and the colt and the mother were released to the two disciples. We don't have the names of the two disciples, the ones that were sent in on that mission here, but we see that the colt and its mother was brought back now to where Jesus was waiting. In Matthew's gospel, it tells us in chapter 21, it says that 
all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. The two disciples, when they bring the donkey and the colt to Jesus, they, they do not know which one Jesus is going to use. They take their cloaks and they put them over both of the animals, over the mother and over the colt. But the prophecy was that Jesus would come in on a colt. And so... Matthew explains that all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. In Matthew's gospel, he is constantly explaining that Jesus' entire life in ministry were marked by two overriding purposes. Number one, to do his Father's will. Jesus is seeking not to do his own will, but the will of the Father at all times. He is in perfect submission to the perfect will of God for his life. And secondly, that he would fulfill all of the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah and his first coming. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. In Luke's Gospel, he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And it says that beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so here we see this amazing portrait that has been set forth in the scriptures, in the Old Testament. And all of the minute brushstrokes, the individual prophecies now of the Messiah. And as Jesus lived his life, directed by the will of the Father, led by the Spirit, he fulfills each and every one of those prophecies that were concerning his first coming. And so it is time for Jesus to make his presentation of himself to the nation. And we see that it says that, tell the daughter of Zion. We see that in Zechariah 9.9, we see here this proclamation. The first line is, is from Isaiah 62. Verse 11, indeed, the Lord has proclaimed and say to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. The daughters of Zion is a reference to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Mount Zion is the highest, most prominent hill there in Jerusalem and and so here we see that Jesus deliberately now is fulfilling the prophecy. And, and it says, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey. In Zechariah 9.9, it says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. 
lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. We see that Zechariah was a prophet that had written this 500 years earlier that when Messiah comes, that Jerusalem is going to hail him, that he is going to come gently and in humility, mounted on a colt. And so Jesus comes now to Jerusalem and, and we see that he is coming, not as a, a conquering general, but he comes on a colt. He came to Jerusalem as the Prince of Peace. He comes to Jerusalem on the day of selection of the Lamb. He comes to Jerusalem as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so in John's Gospel, chapter 12, it says that when he had found the donkey, sat on it. As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. But his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. The disciples, when they are putting Jesus uh, on the colt and, and they are moving towards Jerusalem, they do not have comprehension that Jesus is doing this in fulfillment of the scriptures. But John's gospel tells us uh, that after Jesus was glorified, that they remembered these things. The Holy Spirit brought to remembrance these things. And, and then they began to understand the fulfillment of these scriptures uh, here. In verse 8 of Mark's gospel, chapter 11, it says, And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. They laid their clothes down on the road before the colt as Jesus now is making his way towards Jerusalem. This was done to honor Jesus uh, as coming into Jerusalem here in the season of Passover. Carrying palms and branches was emblematic of victory, of success. This was a, a, a victory celebration, the Messiah is now making his way to the city itself. We see that there was tremendous expectation and anticipation. And there were many people who were believing that Jesus was going to set up the messianic kingdom right there, that the millennial reign would have begun right then and that he would have ruled and reigned in righteousness that rome would have been overthrown and and that in jerusalem now was going to be the the capital of his government and the government would be upon his shoulders and he would rule them with a rod of iron they they were believing and hoping for this kingdom to come and to be established. And as Jesus now is making his way towards Jerusalem, there is tremendous excitement and nationalism is rising. In verse 9, then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. 
that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. We see Luke's gospel tells us that it was as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives. He had crested over the Mount of Olives and was now heading down towards the Kidron Valley, which slopes there at the bottom. And then there is the Temple Mount that is right before you. And as Jesus is descending down, this is where the multitudes of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. John's Gospel tells us that when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, that they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And so we have this crowd of people that is coming out of the city itself and we have the pilgrims and the procession that is making its way towards Jerusalem and these two crowds joined together and and these multitudes of voices coming together singing the hosannas and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord now this was open messianic praise that was going on they were looking to jesus for salvation the word hosanna means save now save us now and we see here that it is the cry of people for deliverance and for help in the day of their trouble it is an oppressed people's cry to their savior to their king they claimed and cried, Hosanna to the son of David. And, and this now is the, the messianic title, son of David. You will remember that there was the, the declaration to David that through him, through his offspring, the Messiah was going to be born. And so a title for Messiah was often used was son of David, son of David. The Messiah is going to be the son of David. He will be in the lineage of King David. They were now about to celebrate Passover. And you remember that Passover, the feast itself, commemorated now the miraculous deliverance of Israel from bondage, from slavery. They were an oppressed people in Egypt and then God set them free and and the Passover was the celebration of being set free from their oppressors here they were in their own land but they were being oppressed by the Roman army or the Romans so save now wouldn't this be a, a great time for the Messiah to throw them off the yoke of oppression. But Jesus did not come to conquer Rome. But Jesus came to conquer sin and to conquer death. In Luke's gospel, we see that the Pharisees call to him from the crowd saying, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They are trying to muzzle now the, the people's voices of messianic adoration that are taking place and and Jesus answered and said, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Today was the day that praise had been ordained. 
And if the people's voices were silenced, then, then God would give voice to the rocks themselves and, and they would cry out. In Luke's gospel, it says that as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. We see that as Jesus now is sitting on this colt, the cloaks are being laid down, the palm branches are being waved, the hosannas are being sung, that as Jesus catches view of Jerusalem itself and of the temple rising up there upon the temple mount, spectacular view from the Mount of Olives, we see that Jesus begins to weep. He weeps over Jerusalem. Oh, how he had desired to take them under his wing as a mother hen does her chicks, but you would not. We see the sorrow and the sadness in Jesus as he sees prophetically forwards now to the day in AD 70 when Titus's army would bring about the destruction of Jerusalem. And they would come in mercilessly and slaughter the people. The temple would be burned. The gold would melt and run between the blocks. And, and Titus would order the, the dissembling of the temple block by block in order to get the gold that had melted in between them and the precious metals out and to bring that gold and silver and precious metal back with him back to Rome. We see that Jesus says because you did not know the time of your visitation. God had told the nation of Israel what the time of his visitation would be. He had told them clearly through the prophet Daniel. In chapter 9, there is what is known as the 70 weeks in prophecy. And, and it talks about the timing of when the Messiah is going to come to Jerusalem. The very day that Jesus now is making his presentation of himself to the nation was a day that had been prophesied specifically. In Daniel chapter 9, it says 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. And so there are these 70 sets of seven years and and there is a 490-year prophecy period that 
Daniel says, before the Messiah is going to rule in righteousness and set up his everlasting righteousness. And then he says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. There is going to be, of the 490 weeks, we see or the years that there is going to be this one final period, seven years. And so we see 483 years, he says, from the going forth of the command to rebuild until the time that Messiah, the prince, comes. It says, the street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. But not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And an end of it shall be with the flood. And so here we see that, that there was the command. The issue was given by Artaxerxes in March 5th, 444 B.C. to go forth and to rebuild. Artaxerxes granted the Jews permission and so that decree is referenced here. And, and so if you start on March 14th, 445 B.C., and you count forwards the 483 years exactly what Daniel says, you come now to April 6th, A.D. 32, the day that Jesus is making his entrance. Because you did not know the time of your visitation, Jesus had been showing them the signs and the wonders, the confirmations of the miracles and the fulfillment of the portrait that had been painted in the entire Old Testament. He had been presenting his credentials throughout his three years of ministry. And now on Palm Sunday here, he makes his triumphal entry, but he weeps uh, over the fact that the nation did not realize the time of their visitation. And it says that Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. In Matthew's gospel, it says, and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? And so the multitude said this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth this is the the prophet he he is the one that was promised by Moses Deuteronomy chapter 18 Moses says the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst from your brethren and him you shall hear as God's people left uh, Sinai and, and God had ratified the covenant with them. Moses says that there is going to come a prophet like me. And him you are going to listen to. Whatever he says, you, you are to listen. In contrast to the Canaanite and spiritists and diviners, the Israelites were to listen to God's prophets that God would raise up men that would speak on behalf of God. And 
So Moses was declaring that there is going to come one prophet, though, one who is going to not only speak on behalf of God, but is also going to provide deliverance. You see the difference between Moses and all the rest of the other prophets as well. Moses was a prophet and spoke on behalf of the people. We also see that Moses was the instrument of deliverance. And so there is going to come the deliverer, the prophet, and him you are going to listen to. He is the prophet from Nazareth of, of Galilee. And Matthew's gospel goes on to tell us, and then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And so Jesus makes his way to the temple and, and, and there the blind and the lame are coming and Jesus is, is once again ministering to the needs of people. Broken humanity, the lame, the blind, the sick, the infirmed. And here is Jesus ministering the resources of heaven and to the broken lives of the people that are around him. And Matthew's gospel says, but when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Here is Jesus blessing people, ministering to them. The children are, are around skipping and dancing and entering into the joy of the miracles that are being performed there. The, the people whose lives are being touched and, and whose infirmities are, are being washed away. And, and we see the children are rejoicing and singing the, uh, the hosannas. And, and it says that the chief priests, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Do you realize that they're calling you the Messiah? And they were calling upon Jesus to stop the children from declaring his identity as Messiah. And Jesus said to them, yes. Yes, I hear them. But have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. And so out of the mouths of these children, the Hosannas, the son of David's. In Mark's gospel chapter 11, verse 11, it says, and so when he had looked around at all things as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. He leaves them and goes out of the city to Bethany and he lodges there. The Passover lamb, chosen on the 10th day of Nisan. The 14th day would be in Passover, and here is Jesus as, as he now makes his official presentation to the nation, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah we see that he comes just exactly as was foretold 
He comes upon the city wrapped in humility, riding a colt. Your king is coming. The issue is who is Jesus? That is really the, the chief concern. It was the concern of the people back then. It is the question that is as relevant today as, as it was 2,000 years ago. That there was a man that rode on a colt into the city while palm branches were being waved. There, there is no doubt. But the question is, who was that? that sat upon the colt. There were many different opinions back then of who Jesus is and who do you think Jesus is was a, a question in every single marketplace, at every single interaction and exchange of the hustle and the bustle of the people that had traveled there for the feast. Jesus was the topic of conversation. And, and the question was who is he? We know that he's Jesus from Nazareth. But who is Jesus of Nazareth? You remember that when John the Baptist was baptizing there in the Jordan River that the priests and the Levites came and they asked John the Baptist, who are you? John's gospel tells us that he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ, the Messiah. And they asked him, what then are you, Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? This is the, the prophet like Moses. And he said, no. But who are you? I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He says, I am just the messenger. I'm the one that, that is sent to tell everybody to, to get ready because he's coming. He is coming. And it tells us that the next day that John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold the Lamb of God. There is Jesus of Nazareth. But he doesn't say, behold, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me for he was before me and I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. And therefore I came baptizing with water that he should be revealed to Israel. Who? The Lamb of God of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so John points us to Jesus of Nazareth as the, the Lamb of God, but, but John also bore this witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him and I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. 
John's testimony. He is the Lamb of God, and he is the Son of God. Son of God, he is the Messiah. Lamb of God, he is the Savior of the world. He is the one who takes away our sins. He is not just a king. He is not just the king of kings, but he is also the Savior, our Savior. It is he who takes away the, the sins of the world, your sins and, and my sins. And he makes his presentation as he enters into Jerusalem. He is the Son of God, and he is the Lamb of God. He is the Messiah. And he makes that presentation. And it was a day for the nation to recognize and respond to who Jesus is. The religious leaders, they rejected him as both Lamb of God and Son of God. But what about you? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth seated upon a colt with palm branches being waved and hosannas being declared. Who is Jesus to you? The backdrop is the feast of Passover. It was a, a, a time of celebration, but it was also a time of, of getting your relationship right with God. It was an annual feast that you would come up uh, early for and, and you would get yourself prepared. There were the, the mikvahs, the ceremonial baths where you would cleanse yourself of all unrighteousness. It was a time when you would go through your house with a candle to see if there was any sin, any leaven whatsoever in it, and you were to purge that all out. You were to, to take a lamb now and offer it up as a sacrifice to God. It was a time for communion and fellowship and worship and celebration of, of God. How great is our God. How great is our God. And here is Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King, our Savior. And today is a day to, to stop now and to examine your own heart and your own life. Where is he in your own life as Son of God? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Is he the king of your soul, of your life? Have you gotten yourself off of the, the throne of your life and enthroned Jesus as your king? Then he is the son of God in your life. But how about the Lamb of God? He needs to not just be the king of your life. He needs to be the savior, Lord of your life. The Lamb of God. And what does the Lamb of God speak of? The Lamb of God speaks of 
the removal of sin, that we might have intimate communion and fellowship with, with God. God says, be holy for I am holy. Put away that which is profane. The triumphal entry is a, a time, Palm Sunday, to stop and to examine your own life and your own relationship with the Lord. What's your intimacy level with the Lord look like right now, today? How passionate are you for the Lord, for the things of God? Is there sin, is there iniquity that is in your life that needs to be cleansed, that needs to be purged? The lamb was examined for spot or blemish. There was to be no defects in it. There could be no disease. It couldn't be maimed. It was closely examined. And that's a time of preparation. And Palm Sunday speaks of that time of preparation in our own lives. It's a time for recommitment. It's a, a time to rededicate our life to the Lord, to drive out and purge out whatever sin might be into our lives that might have entered in or had not been fully purged out in our lives. It is a time to say, Messiah, Lamb of God, save me. Save me from my sin. Sanctify me. Set me free from the bondages that are you know, holding me. Wash me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Forgive me for every area in my life that I have fallen short of your perfect will. To sing the Hosannas. Hosannas to the Son of David. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Son of God. To welcome Him fully and completely into our hearts. To renew our, our passion. To be refreshed, restored, cleansed, empowered. And ready to celebrate in one week's time the glorious resurrection from the dead. And so may we this day welcome Jesus, Son of David, Son of God, Lamb of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would continue to draw us near to you, that you would fill us afresh this day as we glimpse you, as, as you were being heralded Messiah, may we herald you in our own hearts today afresh. And Lord, as, as you went through your temple and cleansed it, may you also cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Son of God. Jesus, Messiah, Lord, Savior. Thank you, God. 
And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.